I remember the first time that I went to a soccer game with my brother. This was about two and a half years ago. And this soccer game took place at, at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And I remember that my brother was really caught off guard by all of the fans that were there uh, wearing their favorite team's soccer jersey. Uh, people with their faces painted. Uh, and one of the things that was easy to notice was the way that these fans praised their team. And it, by the way that they were doing it, it was easy to tell who they were cheering for. There were all kinds of people attending the game. Men, women, young folks, older folks, children, grandparents. And just about everyone present had one thing in mind. Soccer. But specifically, the soccer team that they were cheering for. And it was interesting to hear what these fans were talking about as they walked to the stadium, their favorite players' stats, the most recent goals, how many times they had beat the, the team that they were about to play that day. And when, during, once the game started, it was interesting to note that, uh, or to observe that whenever these fans' team scored, they would yell and scream at the top of their lungs. Uh, some of them would throw their cups, their sodas, their drinks, cheering everybody, even um, strangers that they didn't know, only because they had the same jersey on. And I noticed that after the game, once the losing team's fans, uh, the losing team lost, their fans were quiet, bitter, upset, with no reason to rejoice. And that's because the fans' joy was dependent upon their team's ability to win. Well, our passage this morning points us to the fact that God's people have many reasons to praise our God who is sovereign, especially because of God's unchanging love for us. And if you turn with me to Psalm 33, this morning we'll, we will be looking at these reasons that we are given in the scriptures for why we can praise this sovereign God and why we can rejoice in him. And if you're using the Black uh, Pew Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 463. And really briefly, you'll notice there in the psalm that there is no title. Uh, this psalm is not attributed to any specific um, human author, but its divine author is always God. And commentators have not agreed on the occasion for this psalm, but some believe that this psalm was composed... Um, to celebrate Israel's deliverance at the Red Sea and God's care for them in the wilderness. Others believe that it was God's, to celebrate God's sovereign work in creating and caring for His creation. But regardless of the fact, um, we find that in this psalm, the Lord has gifted us with this psalm so that we would come to praise Him for who He is and what He has done. So look there at Psalm 33 with me and I will read it. This is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. 
He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Now our main point this morning, if you're taking notes, is Christian, no matter your circumstances, you have many reasons to praise your sovereign God. No matter your circumstance, you have many reasons to praise your sovereign God. And there are two points this morning, and we will address these as we go on. The first point is the Christian's praise, and we find that in verses 1 through 3. And our second point is the reason for praise, and we will cover that in verses 4 through 22. And my desire for us this morning is that these truths would lead you and enable you to praise God when you find that your life circumstances attempt to rob you of your joy in God. And I pray that you would fight for joy in God because of who He is and what He has done for you in Jesus Christ. And so our first point this morning deals with one aspect of the Christian life, and that is the Christian's praise. If we look here at our passage this morning, the psalmist begins his psalm by calling God's people to shout for joy in the Lord. He begins there saying, Shout for joy in the Lord, all you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. This rejoicing has to do with a delight in God. And as we saw last week, it is is a delight in God for who he is and what he's done on behalf of his people. That is, he has not treated us according to the judgment that we deserve. Instead, God has freely poured out His love on us by forgiving us our sins and covering our iniquities, all by placing His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ's life, Christ's death, and resurrection that all who put their trust in Him have been declared righteous before God. That same thought continues in our passage this morning, and we see that in that it is the righteous who are called to respond with joy. Last week I mentioned that when certain words or phrases are repeated in Scripture, it is done for the purpose of emphasizing something important, something for us to pay attention to. And in these three verses, it's interesting to see that 
the people of God are called to shout for joy in the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, and make melody to Him. Sing to Him, play skillfully with loud shouts. Now, these are all different descriptions of what it looks like to offer praise. Now, a question will naturally arise from this. What is praise? Well, in the Bible, praise has to do with the joyful proclamation or the joyful acknowledgement of who God is and what He has done. For example, in Psalm 106, verse 1, we read, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Or in Psalm 150, verse 2, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Or in Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You. I will praise Your name, for You have done wonderful things, planned form of old, faithful and sure. Now we find in these verses in Psalm 33 this morning that praise also includes giving thanks to God for His work on our behalf. And this can be done by making melodies with different instruments and singing to Him as a way to acknowledge God's greatness, as a way to proclaim what He has done for us. And these descriptions help us to understand that praising God is a response that involves all of our being, which includes but is not limited to our voices and our talents. In verse 1, in the second part of verse 1, we see that praise is appropriate for the Christian. The reason that praise is fitting for God's people is because God has poured out His love on us even when we didn't deserve it. Or another way to put it is that God has not dealt with us according to what we deserve. Where we as God's creation were created to love God with all of our being, we have not done so. Instead, we have chosen to love all of His good gifts and not care about Him at all. And so we deserve to be judged for being traitors. We deserve to be put far away from Him. But God made a way to forgive and to save rebels like us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we were supposed to live and to die the death that we deserve to die. And so the proper response of one who has been redeemed by God is one of praise, one of adoration, that is, one of continual proclamation of the God who has been beyond good to us by loving the unlovable and forgiving the unforgivable. And we see this in verse 3. Here the psalmist writes, Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. The psalmist calls God's people to worship with a new song. And this new song has to do with our new nature. For those of us that have been born again, we experience God's mercy afresh every day. Where we were once His enemies, we have now passed from death to life. And we can now see God for who He is as He's revealed Himself in His Word. 
And we can now respond to God properly as He calls us to by praising Him for who He is. Now that we've seen that the Christian life is characterized by the praise of God, we look at six reasons why God is praiseworthy. God is praiseworthy because of God's word. And we find that in verses 4 through 5. There we read, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. One of the most profound things about the word of God is its uprightness or its truthfulness. For example, if you turn there with me to Psalm 19, so it's just a couple of chapters back, in verses 7 through 8, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Here we find evidence of what the Word of God does. First, we see here that the Word of God revives the soul. Second, we see that the Word of God makes the wise simple. And third, we see that the Word of God rejoices the heart. In our psalm, we find an invitation to shout for joy in the Lord to give thanks to the Lord, to make melody to Him, to sing to Him a new song, not because of the temporal things that He has given us, such as a job, a car, a house. Instead, the psalmist calls us to rejoice in God and to offer praise because of the work of God's Word in our life. For it is by God's Word that God has revived our soul When we were dead in our sin, it was through God's word that God birthed life in us and made us alive in Christ. It is by this word that he made us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is by the understanding of God's word that our hearts rejoice because our sins have been forgiven. It is by God's word that we come to see him rightly and every other gift that he has given us in its right place. So Christian, can you imagine what your life would be like if God had not shown you mercy by opening your eyes to his word? Where would you be right now? How would life be like for you at this moment? Would you be rejoicing? Or would you be miserable? Looking for joy and happiness in all the wrong places and not finding it. We can praise God for his word and for his kindness in enabling us to have life by his word. So that we would come to live in right relationship with him as he created us to. Because there is joy in that. And there is no joy apart from knowing God and being in right relationship with Him. We also see that God's love, God loves righteousness and justice there in verse 5. It's by God's incarnate word that we have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christian, when you place your faith on Christ, 
You were credited with his righteousness. And now when God sees you, he sees Christ in you. And because Christ is in you, you are loved by God. And this is a result of God's word working in you so that you would see him for who he is, which has led you to repentance. It is by the word that he will continue to sanctify you until he calls you home. And so we can praise God for his word, which is at work in us. And we can praise God for his word, which will complete his work in us. So Christian, you can praise God because his word is at work in you. And that is God's kindness to you. And this leads us to the second reason we can praise God. We can praise God because of God's power. Verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, many people know the word of God. If you ask people if they know any part of the word of God, a lot of people have memorized John 3.16, Genesis 1.1. But there's something important that God has done that displays His power. In Scripture, when we read that God speaks, God never speaks in vain. And what I mean by this is that everything that God has ever spoken has been spoken because God had the intention and the ability to fulfill what He said. For example, in creation, we see it in the opening verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3 we read, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Here the psalmist reminds us that it is God who gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. When God declares something, He declares it so that He would fulfill it, so that He would be glorified. There in Genesis as well, in chapter 3, we find the story of when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, deserving God's righteous judgment on them. But we see that God took it upon Himself to fix the mess that Adam and Eve got themselves into. And God spoke. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15. And His promise to Adam and Eve was to send a Savior who would come through Eve's offspring to crush the head of the serpent to redeem man back to God. And so if we look at Scripture from Genesis through Revelation... We find God's word describing, telling us how God has been keeping this promise of sending His Son, Jesus Christ, 
to, who would come into the world and save all who would repent and trust in Him. And He did that about 2,000 years ago. And He continues to be merciful to sinners today by saving all who would trust in Him. God has done this despite man's continual rebellion. God said it. God accomplished it. And God will finish His work. When God speaks, His words come true. God spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm, says the psalmist in verse 9. God has the intention and the ability to fulfill every one of His promises and warnings to man. Friend, if you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian, I wonder if you're struggling to believe what the God of the Bible has revealed about Himself and to us all this morning. God reveals Himself as the Creator of all things. And He tells us that we are all His creation. Where we were all created by God and for God. But each and every one of us has rebelled against God. By not living for God and instead living for ourselves. Rather than worshipping this Creator, we have turned and worshipped His creation. And the Bible tells us that this is called sin, and sin deserves to be judged, judged by death. But God in His kindness has sent His Son Jesus Christ into this world to live the life that you were supposed to live, that I was supposed to live, by loving God perfectly. And then, not only did He live His life perfectly, doing what we've never done, Jesus then laid down His life willingly, for all who would repent and turn of their sins and trust in Him, so that whoever places their trust in Him and repents, their judgment has been taken by Christ, so that you would be forgiven. God has declared this throughout the pages of the Bible. And if He has declared it, it is so. And He calls you to turn to Him, for this free forgiveness that He freely offers because He says in His Word that He will forgive all who turn from sin and turn to Him. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me, Pastor Jeremy, or the friend that brought you this morning, and we'd be more than happy to share this good news with you. So we see that God has the intention and the ability to do what He says. We also have reason to praise God for God's knowledge. We see that in verses 10 through 15. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. 
For the Christian, it is awesome to know that the wisdom of this world does not compare to the wisdom of God. The psalmist writes that it is God who frustrates the plans of the people. While the people of this world may try to plot against God, may rebel against God, may reject God, may even try to plan against God's people, ultimately, their plans rest not on themselves, but in God. And it is God who frustrates their plans. And we see this, for example, in the, in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where the people there tried to build a tower in order to make a name for themselves, so as to be like God. But the Word tells us that God frustrated their plans by confusing their languages so that they wouldn't accomplish their plan. If you look there at verse 12, once again we come to a blessing. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. God's people are blessed not only because we have been saved by God, but because we have been given the grace to know God intimately, intimately and personally in His Son, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to know the character of God, the attributes of God, in the way that can't be understood by those whose eyes haven't been opened to, this tr- to these truths. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Here we see the grace of God in that we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It was God's good pleasure to set His eyes upon you before you even entered this world. It was God's good pleasure to bless you by saving you at the right time, at the right moment. God revealed Himself to you so that you would see Him and come to Him. And we are—we can see this, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, where Zacchaeus. It says that one day Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was walking through his village. And Zacchaeus being a man of short stature, he ran to one of the trees where he knew that Jesus was going to pass by. And he ran up. And the scripture tells us that when Jesus got to the place, he looked up and he called Zacchaeus down. And he said, Zacchaeus, it is necessary for me to stay with you tonight. In eternity past, God had determined that moment when Jesus would come across the path of Zacchaeus, look up into that tree and call him down because it was his moment of salvation. And it is the same for you, Christian. God considers you, he counts you blessed. Not because of anything that you have done or because of anything that you you could have earned for yourself but because God willingly set His love upon you. And at the right moment, 
He called you and He said, come home, come to, come to me. And this is the idea that David was pointing us to, King David was pointing us to back in Psalm 32 last week, where the, the man who is blessed is he who had, whose sins have been forgiven. The man who could not pay for his own sins, where God takes it upon himself by sending his son to save those who couldn't save themselves. And we also find God's grace in that it is God's grace that keeps us holy and blameless before him. Not because of what we do, but because of our position in Christ. And all this grace is undeserved and it gives us reason to praise God. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. This verse points us to the reality that it's easy to forget that God sits on His throne from heaven above and looks down and sees all men. God sees all things. God knows all things. Nothing is hidden to God's eyes. This should remind us that it is God who sits on the throne and it is the one who sits on the throne that deserves to be worshipped and praised. It is the Lord who designed us and fashioned us and He knows us. He sees all things exterior and interior. And if you know this God, this should bring you comfort. I pray that this brings you comfort. Because no matter what you face, what you experience in this world, God's eye sees everything. No matter what you're experiencing, the Lord knows your condition. The Lord knows your suffering. The Lord knows what you're experiencing. He sees all things. But not not only does He see all things, He graciously provides for His children. He graciously provides for our needs. And He always provides beyond what we could ask for. So this leads us to our next point. We can praise God for God's salvation. And here we look at verses 16 through 19. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Man has the tendency to trust in the wrong Savior. Man, because of sin, tends to look at everyone and everything other than God. And this leads to a crisis. And the crisis is that we are tempted to trust in human strength, in human power. 
in the work of our own hands. But here the psalmist reminds us that ultimately it isn't our own strength or as he writes, it isn't the army that saves the king or the strength of man that preserves the warrior or the horses that bring victory. Those are all cheap gods that cannot provide salvation or protection. Our hope is to be placed not in earthly resources, which inevitably will fail. Our hope must be placed in God's unchanging love. We see God's love in that while we were His enemies, God sent His Son to die for His enemies. Having no reason, nothing good in us for Him to send His Son, He sent Him, displaying the greatest act of love, where the innocent came into this world to die for the guilty. There's no greater act of love than this, that the God of gods, the Lord of lords, would willingly lay down his life for rebellious people. And so our hope must be placed in this God who has proven himself time after time of being a God who is loving and is, who is for all who would turn to him, who is ready to save. And so we wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord because when we hope in God, we show that God is strong and that we are weak. When we hope in God, we show that we are the ones who have needs, not God. When we wait on God, or we, when we wait on the Lord, it reminds us that He is God and we are not. So Christian, I want to ask you, where do you place your hope? Is the object of your hope strong enough to withstand your greatest need? The Bible tells us that our greatest need is to be right with God. And if your hope is placed in your works, if your hope is placed in your education, if your hope is placed in a family, if your hope is placed in anything other than God, those things will not be able to satisfy or fulfill your greatest need, which is to be right with the very God who has said in His Word that we will stand before Him and give an account. When we put our hope in God, we will be glad, we will be joyful, we will be happy, because God will provide according to His glory, His riches, and according to what's good for you. When we put our hope in God, we will be glad, we will be happy, we will rejoice because God 
will provide for every one of your needs. As we've seen in the past, if God provides for the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, if He clothes the flowers of the field, how much more will God provide for you every need that you have? If He's given His Son for you, surely He can provide any other temporal need that you may have in this world. And last, we can praise God because of God's faithfulness. Verses 20 through 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. The Christian's hope is set on the Lord because God has promised to be our help and our shield. And as we've seen earlier in God's word, God intends to keep what he keep his promises when he promises something. His words are always yes and amen. You can take that check to the bank and know that there is more than enough funds to cover that check because God will accomplish what He has said. And so for the Christian, we hope in God because we know that God will respond. God will be our help. God will be our shield regardless of what we experience in this world. Because God is sovereign. No matter what we face in this world, whether it be trials or unforeseen circumstances, we trust that God is sovereign even in those situations and God uses it for our good and for His glory as He sanctifies us, as He gives us wisdom, understanding and knowledge so that we would draw closer to Him, so that then we would use that understanding and minister to others to point them to Him and bring Him glory and in the process, bring you joy. The Christian's heart is one that is glad in God because God is trustworthy because of God's holy name. God cannot lie. God will not lie. And God will provide everything that He has promised. And so the Christian responds to God, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And so we see that the fruit of this trust in God is one of joy. Is one that rejoices because our greatest need has been met in Jesus Christ. Is one of joy because we trust that God is for us, that God is with us, that God is able to provide for us in any circumstance. And it is this hope that creates joy because we know that the Lord is for us. So in conclusion, Christian, you can rejoice 
in God, regardless of the circumstances you face, because God has displayed His love for you by providing for your greatest need. You can trust that this is true because of God's Word, because of God's power, because of God's knowledge, because of God's salvation, and because of God's faithfulness. All as evident in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for being the sovereign God, creator of all. We praise You for being a God of steadfast love who shows mercy to those that don't deserve mercy, who blesses and pours out Your love on those that don't deserve love. Father, we praise You for the many ways in which You have displayed Your love for us, for the ways that You provide for our needs, for the ways that You comfort us in trials and in afflictions. But most importantly, Lord, for providing Your Son, Jesus Christ, to make us right with You. Father, we pray that You would enable us to proclaim these truths of the Gospel, that You are a saving God, who is ready to forgive, and who is ready to save all who would turn from worshiping themselves and turn to You. Lord, we pray that wherever we would go, whether at work, at school, while we're out having lunch, Lord, we pray that we would be known to be a joyful people because of what You've done for us and because of how You love us. We thank You and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.